Hey guys, Michael Miller. So glad you're tuning in for this week's episode of Upper Room Dallas. Before we hop to the episode, I want to personally invite you to our night of worship in Frisco, Texas. It is May 14th. We have a venue for a couple of thousand people. We're inviting our online family to come for a night of worship, come encounter Jesus. It's going to be the culmination of these Maranatha nights that we are doing. Uh, we also have a leadership training that's happening that Saturday around uh, church, praying church, presence-centered churches. If you're a leader in a church, a pastor, if you want to engage us in those ways, this is a great context to do it. Meet me, meet Lo, meet others. Come one, come all. We love you, would ha- love to have you. Check our website for those details. Uh, tonight's teaching was about praying in tongues. During our Maranatha nights, lots of people are exercising uh, that gift, grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. I give context for it, specifically looking at the Tower of Babel and uh, how Acts 2 was the righteous correction of Genesis chapter 11. Um, We then look at 1 Corinthians 14, just some practicals on the power of tongues for us as individuals and then corporately. Buckle up, enjoy, love you. teaching. I'm really excited about the teaching tonight. I think this teaching could be a tool um, for you, uh, a missing tool for your spiritual journey. I know it's something that I use every day. I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, We are at the 21-day mark, though, in our 40-day fast. So we have been going for 19 days with 21 more days left. If you're not fasting yet in some way, shape, or form, if you're not involved in that, I really want to invite you in. I'm going to give you a nudge. Uh, I have heard incredible testimonies about people um, who are really forsaking. Uh, there's many people that are forsaking food for the full 40 days. Uh, some are forsaking you know, certain meals throughout the day. Others are uh, doing a Daniel fast, which is vegetables, basically. Um, people are fasting from social media. There's all kinds of ways that you can forsake something. You're setting aside that, that fleshly, earthly desire to say, Lord, you're my greatest desire. And, uh, and I really want to encourage you to hop in. We have been having nightly prayer meetings as a community. Uh, we have 21 more of those left Monday through Saturday. We're going to be praying in this room. I know many are turning out. We are having some incredible nights. We're also having some nights that uh, aren't so incredible. They're very boring. Uh, we're having some nights that are extremely weird. Uh, we're having all different types of nights on our prayer nights, but I love this. Here's what I love. I love that we're doing it together. I love that we're committed, not, not, we're, we're, we're committed to praying every day of the year, morning, noon, and night. But in this specific season, our leaders are coming in the evening. We're really allowing our lives to be disrupted, to step into this invitation that we sense God giving us. We sense he's calling us to say, Maranatha, would you come, Lord? Uh, not, not just the grand, would you come and return, but Lord, would you come into our lives? Would you come into our spiritual family? Would you come into our city? We're believing for a move of God in our personal lives, our families, the upper room, and ultimately in the city. And we're asking you to join us in that. Let's get over ourselves for a second. And let's step into uh, this, 
burden and invitation that we sense from the Lord. I just think he's looking for people that will respond to his desire to come. Oh, come on. I really feel like there's this invitation for us to partner with the Holy Spirit and really to prepare a way uh, for the Lord. There's a coming move. I'm excited about it. We've heard awesome testimonies personally. I want to put you in the place of expectation. We got a text this week from someone who has been praying for a family member for over a decade. They've just been hard-hearted towards the Lord, um, have not had any interest in the Lord. And since they threw in on this fast, one of the itemized specific prayers has been for this family member. This family member texted this week and said, I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to get serious about my faith and I'm ready to get in your family circle. I'm ready to come to your church. I'm ready to know your friends. And so we see that as a direct result of them fasting. Really powerful. Uh, we have other people who are having breakthroughs with adoptions, people that are having breakthrough that have been barren, people that have been having breakthrough with children. So I want to encourage you that if you are fasting to get specific in what you're asking, don't just like fast and say, Lord, just move. Lord, here's how I want you to move. Be specific in your prayers and watch what he does. He's listening to you. He, he says, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. When you call and ask upon his name, he will answer. And man, I'm believing for big things for you, for us. So join us on uh, Sunday or weekly nights. Come. It's going to be good. So put your hand on your heart. Lord, have your way in my life tonight. No matter what. Here's my dignity. Here's my understanding. Here's my future. Disrupt it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You prayed it. I didn't. You prayed it. I didn't. All right. Hey, here, here's, I want to talk to you about a, t a, a subject that's somewhat taboo um, in the church at large. It's not oftentimes taught in a form like this. It's more something you have to seek out or something that they may teach behind closed doors, but they don't roll it out into the public because it tends to be just something that's a little weird. And I want to tell you that to the carnal mind, it is. The Bible says this, in the NIV, I'm whipping out the NIV. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. But they consider those things foolish, and they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. So tonight, I want to give you a topic that needs to be judged by the Spirit. You can't understand it actually without the Holy Spirit, but it's for your spirit. <laughs> and when you get born again, you're born of the spirit. And so your soul is subject to the spirit. Now, the way that you're made, there's three parts to your being. You are body, soul, and spirit. There's three parts to you tonight. And you need to understand the way that you're designed because your design and your makeup is really important for you 
to live your spiritual life with fruit, godliness, freedom, all those things. Many of us were bound up in our soul and we live from our soul. But when you get born again, you actually are sourced by the spirit to now live in the spirit. And your soul, which is your mind, everyone say your mind. It's how you think. So it's your thinker. It's your will. Everyone say your will. That's your doer. And the other part of your soul is your emotions. And that's your feeler. All right, get your phones out. I want you taking notes. I want to teach you tonight. I'm not going to preach at you. I'm not just wanting to motivate you. I'm wanting, I'm wanting to equip you. And so threes are important. You're made up in three parts. Body, soul, spirit. Your body is your flesh. It's your blood. It's your bones. It's your external shell. Your flesh is also your, your oftentimes your appetites. So your flesh is at the bottom of the totem pole as a believer. Now, before you're born again, your flesh is at the top of the totem pole. It's in charge. But Christ crucified your flesh so that you're no longer enslaved to it. That's good news. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live the life you live in the flesh or in the body, you live by faith. So it's really important because some of you are bound by fleshly desires. Even though you're born again, you're still an infant. And I want to feed you truths that will mature you tonight to help you crucify your flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You are born of the spirit. Your soul is subject to one of the two. Your soul's in the middle. So your soul is either going to subject itself to your flesh or your soul is going to subject itself to your spirit. Your soul is how you experience life. Your soul is your central processing unit of your body. And in your soul are those three components. Your mind, what you think, your thinker, your will, which is what you do, your doer, and your emotions, which is what you feel, your feeler. All of that is your soul. Now, when you get born again, your spirit is made alive. And your spirit are things like your conscience. It's cleansed, but I believe your conscience is a part of your spirit. I believe some of our intuition is part of our spirit, but ultimately our spirit is connected to our source of our life, which is the Holy Spirit. So you live by the spirit in the spirit. Your soul experiences that, and your flesh, well, we keep it in submission to the other two. Does this make sense? Okay, so tonight I want to talk about walking in the Spirit, and I want to talk about being a person of the Spirit. And, and I specifically want to talk about um, when you're 
uh, baptized in the spirit. And that's a loaded term. Uh, I, I believe all, all born again believers have the Holy Spirit in them. You, you cannot be born again without the spirit for the spirit actually baptizes you into the body of Christ. Okay. So when you're born again, it's the Holy Spirit doing a work in your heart. No one can confess Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. That's first Corinthians 12. So the spirit initiates salvation in our hearts where we say Jesus is Lord and we get born of the spirit. Just taking my time. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I want to get to the topic. Um, I believe it's in play for all believers to ask Jesus to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Uh, if I see there's three, there's three types of baptisms biblically. I believe the Spirit baptizes us into the body, such a born-again experience. I believe believers baptize believers in what? Water. That's Romans 6. That's, that's the removal of the flesh, removal of the old nature, removal of the old lifestyle. But I think it's very biblical to see that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Uh, John would declare that in all four Gospels. One who comes after me is greater than me. I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in what? The Holy Spirit and fire, which is awesome. So it's in fair play for born-again believers to say, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I ask that often. And I know in my own journey, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about meetings like the upper room. Uh, this was just foreign to me. In fact, if I would have come into a room like this five years into it, I would have weirded me out. <laughs> right? Like if, if I would have walked and seen what I was doing now and what I was leading, I would have just kind of scratched my head and really thought something went wrong. <laughs> like what happened? How did you get to where you got to? And a lot of friends that knew me specifically in the tradition somewhat still think that about me. Um, but I, 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 really, I really got into this thing um, because Jesus changed my life. Like I, I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a businessman. Um, I, I never, I never planned on being a preacher. Uh, I never, I just never planned on doing what I'm doing, but in obedience to the one that ravished my heart in college, I find myself where I'm at today. And I can look back and see my journey along the way. And I can see these mile markers of where God met me and God led me and God revealed himself to me in such a way. And I think many of you come through these doors and those, there's those types of appointments for you. And I think some of you experiences like even tonight or the upper room culture are new to your faith. And I believe it's with intent that he brought you in here so that you could receive something. And when I was really, uh, I brought a lot of sexual brokenness into my born again experience. And I wish it was true that I was delivered of all of that in a moment, but I went into a process of sanctification, deliverance and freedom. The Lord was so gracious and so patient with me, uh, but I came in pretty messy. And a part of that was depression, anxiety, guilt, shame. 
and I didn't know what to do. I had the scriptures. I had my, I was in seminary. I was serving at a church. I was fighting for purity, but man, I was really limping in those days. And I remember an elder took me to what I describe as a speak easy, like meeting in our tradition where you like had to knock on the door to get in, you know, and say a secret passcode. Cause it was just underground in my stream. But if you were desperate enough, if the case was desperate enough, you knew to take them there. And I was experiencing a measure of depression, suicidal tendencies. And this elder that actually just recently went to be with the Lord, he took me with a lot of disclaimers. (laughs) And we went and for the first time I experienced the gift of prophecy at work. And a man stood in a, a meeting. There weren't nearly this many people, maybe about this many people. But he stood up and, and he just, it was the first word. He had had it during worship. He stood up and he looked at me and he goes, brother, the Lord wants you to know tonight it's going to be okay. And I was stone-faced. I was like, okay. You know, like <laughs> I'm fighting it just because I was uncomfortable. And he goes, and the Lord also wants you to know that he saw what happened to you when you were 13. And the Lord also wants you to know, and he began to disclose the secrets of my heart, exactly where I was, exactly what I was facing. And all I could do was cry. And all I could do was say, God is really among you. And I opened up 1 Corinthians 14, and it says, the ungifted are unbelieving. When the gift of prophecy is used, secrets are disclosed. They will exclaim, God's really among you. And I had a proof text for an experience that I had never had before in the Lord. But at that moment, I knew that prophecy was real. You didn't have to teach me about prophecy. I experienced the secrets of my heart's being dis- my heart being disclosed, and my journey in the things of the Spirit began. I then went to this meeting several times after, obviously, and and I remember just weird people would come up to me. They would be like, um, you know, like there was this one guy. I think he was cross-eyed, and he was like, "Are you baptized with fire?" <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "What are you talking about? Are you baptized with fire?" I, I don't know. Am I? be baptized with fire. And you know, like nothing happened. And, and, uh, but there was a guy there, there was a guy there named JR. He was filled with joy. JR always laughing. He was contagious. And I remember JR walked up to me just very humbly. And he said, brother, God has a gift for you tonight. And he laid hands on me and he prayed for the baptism of the Holy spirit. And I would feel what would seemingly be like Finney, I believe, describes it as liquid love when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I felt this warm sensation go from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And all I could feel was the ecstasies of God and and a joy that surpassed anything I had experienced. And um, it was amazing. And I, I, I was really grateful for that season of my life. But there was one thing that I told the Lord I, I didn't want. I was like, I, I kind of like this, you know, this is like a kind of a secret experience I'm having with the Lord. I certainly didn't tell my friends, but it was like my go-to place to get my Jesus on, you know? And, and the one thing though that I didn't desire was uh, speaking in tongues. Like it was just taboo to me. Like I didn't understand it. I, I, there was a girl that worked for me. Um, and I knew that she didn't have language for charismatic, but she was charismatic. And I knew that she spoke in tongues. 
and, and she wouldn't let anyone necessarily hear her, but I had so many questions for her. And I would ask her over and over, can you just do it for me? Like, <laughs> can I like hear it? Like, what does it sound like? Um, like, I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have a paradigm, but I valued her walk with God. She had such godly fruit in her life. And, and because of my relationship with her, I, it, it was, it was, it drew me to her. And it, 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 I want to know. And she was like, I'm not going to do it for you. Just ask the Lord. I'm not going to do it for you. And, um, and so tongues was always this great mystery to me. And, uh, and, and I, 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 I gradually, um, for me, I guess I'm a slow learner. Tongues didn't just like, it wasn't like an engine that started and I was like, bah, 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 you know, it was, it was something that I had to learn and purposefully pursue and get over my unbelief and doubt and actually get in faith that I could do it and it was for me. And so through my journey, I actually learned how to pray in the spirit. And, and I truthfully do not know of something the Lord has given me personally outside of the word and, and some of the, you know, some of our tenants and like word community church, you guys like, but personally, it's one of the most valued expressions of the Holy spirit in my life because of what it does to me personally. It, 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 it is just such a weapon. I would even go as far to say it's a weapon that that the enemy does not want you to possess. And if you possess it, he certainly does not want you to use it. Because of its implications for you and its implications for him. And I believe that's why there's so much swirl around this topic and why it's actually really challenging for pastors to bring it to the forefront and the center of the community. But here's my conviction is that we need to get activated in this expression if we're going to get to where we need to get to. And I also want to, I also want to disarm some people's unbelief or misunderstanding around what's happening during our prayer evenings, because one of the primary expressions in our prayer nights, specifically these 40 days that we're crossing over, and I believe we're entering into something really significant, but is the singing and corporate praying in tongues. And if we don't have understanding with what we're doing, I'm afraid that some of you can get snatched or removed from fellowship, not, not, not necessarily in a bad sense, but you'll just go on because we're the weird ones that are praying in tongues and it doesn't make sense to you. And so as a pastor, I want to help give you maybe some handles as the train takes off and those things start happening. You can lay hold of these so that you're not just tossed to and fro in the car and you get out because you're sick of the movement. Do you hear my heart in this? So I, I really, I'm coming with a pastoral word, uh, a teaching, but, but I also believe it's a nuclear weapon and I want to detonate it because I think it's a, I think it's a nuclear weapon for us corporately. Um, 
because I don't hear a lot of teaching on corporate praying in tongues. And, and I'll get to all this. So you're just going to have to be patient with me because I really want to lay this out thoroughly for you. And there's, there's a lot I need to do to get from here to there. So I'm going to take my time. Not time, like I know sometimes we go really, really late. I, not, I'm not going to go long, but I just need you to hang in there with me. Because this, this is for you personally, but, and I'm grateful that that's, that's going to be the fruit of my target, but my target isn't necessarily helping you personally, although you'll be helped personally, but my target is to lead us corporately. And I believe we need this understanding to get to where we're going. So I want you to open up your Bibles. We love the Bible. And I want you to test everything I say tonight by the Bible. I don't mind defending your understanding of the Bible, but you need to make sure what I'm saying and where I'm leading us is found in the Bible. So we're going to start at the beginning in Genesis chapter 11. So Genesis chapter 11 is a story that you're very familiar with. It's the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says, The whole earth used the same language. Everyone say, same language. And the same words. Everyone say, the same words. So this narrative is about language and words. It's about dialect. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, I, I want to just take a, a pause here because this is the Tower of Babel and it's in the city of Babel. Okay? Now, this is the first mention of Babel. It's the first narrative around Babel. Now, uh, Babel is an important theme throughout the Bible. Babel is synonymous with another name, which would become a nation, and that is Babylon. So Babel and Babylon are actually the same words in the Hebrew. So we know that Babylon represents captivity. It represents um, a place of exile. It's oftentimes the result of judgment. And it's found in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar in 2 Kings chapter 25 came and ransacked the city of Jerusalem, took them as captives, led them away to the Babylonian Empire. That's where Daniel was. Daniel was, was led away as an adolescent. And so this book of Daniel is written under Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them, Babylonian captivity. It's a major theme of the Old Testament. But this specific text in Genesis 11 sets the backdrop for what the Babylonian empire represents. And so it's not only in Genesis 11 in the Old Testament, 
But if you fast forward to the end times, Revelation 17 talks about the great harlot. She's the mama, the mother of Babylon. And it's a Babylonian influence in culture that will attempt to snare the church under her power. And I want you to see that that power, even in this age, is represented in Genesis chapter 11. Babel, Babylon, the Babylonian influence starts in Genesis 11 and it goes all the way till Jesus returns. Now, I know I'm talking about tongues, but you need to see the significance of this revelation so that you can see the significance of this gift and grace that he bestows upon the church. Let me not just say the church, upon you. So this is Babel, verse three. The people in Babel said to one another, so they have a conversation. Come, and then what are the next two words? So let's say them together. Come, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. Go to the next verse. Then they said, come, what are those two words? What are those two words? Build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. And what are the next two words? Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So three times it mentions these two words, let us. It is something that was birthed in their hearts together, and they purposed in their hearts to do three things, to build a city that would have a tower that ultimately would result in a name for themselves. Build a city, a tower, and a name for themselves. This is at the heart of all that the Babylonian spirit does and represents. It's man-centered. It's self-exalting. It's about self-preservation, self-glory. Um, it, it, it ultimately boils down to the root of pride, where you are your God. You are your Lord. And, and, and ultimately, this is, this is what's amazing, is, is this spirit that is operating in these Babylonians, it actually wasn't operating necessarily through them, but through the nature of sin in them that originated in the fall of Lucifer himself. So Isaiah chapter 14 is a prophecy, and it's in the natural, like when Isaiah is writing it, he's talking about a king, but it's prophetic of actually um, Lucifer's fall from heaven. And it talks about five wills that Lucifer or Satan himself had in his heart. And I want you to see this because I want you to see the spirit that's operating in this age. And eventually we'll see how tongues combats this. So look at uh, Isaiah 14, verse 13. These are the, 
These are the five I wills that were found. And I want you to see how similar they are to the I will of the people of Babel. So, but you said in your heart, this is Lucifer saying in his heart, uh, I will ascend. Everyone say, I will. I will ascend. So I will go high. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. What is that? Lofty throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of assembly. What's the mount? The high place. Keep going. I will ascend. Everyone say ascend. I will ascend above the clouds of the heights. I will make myself like the most high. So this was, this is what caused Satan to be thrown out of heaven. Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, <laughs> you'll be thrust down to Sheol. And he was. Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning. So the reason I wanted to show you the five wills of Satan looking at the will of Babel is to me, this is how demonic strongholds are established in our culture. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I hope you're writing all these scriptures down. Please don't just listen to me. I really want you to take these. This is one of the most important teachings I think you're going to hear because I'm giving you tools to combat many of the influences that are contending for your heart. So look at 2 Corinthians 10, start in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, it's part of our makeup, you walk in the body, we do not war according to the flesh. Why? Because we're of the spirit. Verse four, for the weapons of our warfare, this is spiritual warfare, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of what? Fortresses, of towers. Next verse. We are destroying speculations in every, what's that word? Lofty thing, what's that word? Raised. So we're talking about high thoughts raised up against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is the top thought. But there are strongholds established culturally, like the Tower of Babel. People make a name for themselves based on a mindset that serves themselves, that's contrary to the knowledge of God. This is a spiritual, demonic stronghold. Now, spiritual warfare is that we're casting those aside because we're taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. <clears throat> Let me just lay it out practically in our society. So these are... These are spiritual truths. Um, but Babels are established in our culture currently. Babels, again, are erected thoughts attempting to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Uh, when you open up your phone and you open up a social media platform, there are Babels established. There are thought patterns, ways of thinking, ideologies that are permeating the church right now. They're permeating people right now. If you just look over the last 10 years of how quickly words like transgender, homosexuality, same-sex marriage are now normative in our culture. 
10, 15 years ago, those were controversial subjects. Now they're mainline. Why? Babbles. You look at what's happening around the race conversation. And there are camps building towers of ideologies to feed people mindsets so that they have this group think around a tower. And it's turning into groupthink tyranny. It's really insane what's happening right now with cancel culture. But if you will not come under this tower of knowledge, we're going to cancel you. That's what's happening right now. As soon as I don't line up with that ideology, then my self-worth, my value is set aside because this is what we value. This is the supreme value. And, and it's real scary because you can find whatever echo chamber you want to get in. If you're a vax person, you can find the vax crowd. If you're a non-vax, you can find the non-vax crowd. If you're a masked person, here's the mask tower. Like all these high places are established in culture and their mindsets. You may be right, but you get in an echo chamber and again, it's this tribal group think that, that I think is, is really, really seductive and dangerous for us as the people of God. And it's why you have to think for yourself. And it's why I think you need the gift that I'm talking about tonight because it will equip you. We've got to battle against some of these spirits that are attempting to influence our hearts to sow leaven inside of us. Uh, my wife posted something recently. We had to, we had to do some stuff to it just because I, I don't want to read people's comments. I don't really care. Uh, but she posted something about um, some homosexual advertisement to our kids. It was, it was blatant advertising. It was, it, was, it was propaganda towards my eight-year-old. Advertising. Same-sex attraction for an eight-year-old. And she posted something. She said, hey, parents, you need to be aware of this. And, uh, and I don't know how it leapt into someone's feed, but someone posted it and it hit this whole other group that I don't know how this, they got a window into this thing. Larissa's just trying to help moms. But all of a sudden, like, she goes, are you seeing what's happening? Like there were, there were dozens upon dozens of comments about this post and people began cursing my kids. I hope your kid turns out da, 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 da religious fanatic. Like, I hope did it, did it. What happened? Well, that thought got under the wrong babble <laughs> and people just came out like just throwing these fiery darts. I said, honey, just delete it. Like we didn't ask. It, it, it just, it doesn't matter. What's my point? Is it a toxic? Things are crazy right now. And if you're not taking your thoughts captive, you'll end up under one of those in a moment. Let us, let us what? Erect a thought pattern, erect an ideology that comforts me, that justifies me. <laughs> the beauty of the gospel is we get over me. <laughs> I love it. And these, these 
what's going to happen ultimately is this is where persecution will come to this. To live as, for this to be the standard, it's going to be costly. It's not going to be something you can just affiliate with. You're going to have to have personal convictions and roots in the word to stand in the day ahead. And so this is the spirit of Babylon. And so the Lord comes down in verse five. In verse five, the Lord has commentary on what's happening. And it's really powerful commentary. The Lord has commentary. And the Lord came down and he saw the city and the tower. <laughs> I don't think it was new news to him, but I guess Moses writing this. He's like, the, Mo the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. What's crazy is this is only two chapters after the flood. <laughs> two chapters. Meaning he just destroyed all of mankind, except for eight people. And then that's the end of nine, him making covenant with Noah. And then 10 is the genealogies. And we're going to pick up with mankind again, and they're building a tower. <laughs> like, we're not doing so well. <laughs> right? They're like, it's going awry again. Now, now, the Lord said, this is really important to think about it from his perspective. The Lord said, I won't flood the earth again. So in his ways to annihilate mankind, it's like, I can't flood the earth. I can't do it that time. <laughs> what could I do? You know, I could send fire from heaven and consume them. Uh, no, I could allow the earth to swallow them up like the 3,000 who built the golden calf. No, I could send boils and plagues. I could send, I mean, you could do a lot in this moment, except flood. Flooding was off the table, right? But he's going to respond. And his response is important. And his response is important for our topic tonight. And his response is important, uh, not only for what he does, but why he does it. And, and if you look in, in verse six, which is his commentary. So he looks down, sees a tower. He says, but they are one people and they all have one language or the same language. And here's his commentary. And this is what they began to do. Now, if they're doing this, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, I don't know what the Lord meant by that, but I can take him at his word that with one language and one purpose, these people could do anything. With one language and one purpose, these people could do anything. Think about that reality for a second. One language, one purpose, these people could do anything. Guys, lay hold of this because of where we're at today and where we're going. What's his response? Fire from heaven? No, I'm not going to do that. Stinging scorpions. 
No, I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do? I'm going to send forth total confusion in their language. It's their language that's causing the power that I want to disrupt by dividing their tongues. And so from here, we have various tongues. And it says that they were scattered across the face of the earth. Powerful, powerful reality. Now, we're talking about praying in the Spirit. And I believe Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is the Lord redeeming what he destroyed in Genesis 11. So do you remember the words, let us? So men were saying, let us, let us, let us. But the Lord, look at this. In verse 7, I didn't read this. Verse 7, so as he sees nothing's impossible, Genesis eleven seven. 7, look at this. He says, come, what's the word? Let us. So men are saying, let us, but God looks at the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and he goes, no, 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 let us. Let us what? Disrupt what's happening down below. Why is this conversation important? Because the three of them would get together again. And John 14, verse 16, write these verses down, please. This is such a good teaching tonight. John 14, 16. Hey, this is the let us of the Acts 2. This is the let us of Acts 2. Look at this, John 14, 16. This is Jesus ascending to the Father, showing him what he had accomplished. He comes in, leading the captives. He approaches the Father. The Father gives him the name above all names, which is important in this topic. And then he looks at the Father and he says, Father, let us. Let us what? Let us what? Father, send the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit comes. And it's interesting to me that the first manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it's fire, but what are the fire resting upon? Tongues. Tongues of fire. Tongues of fire, meaning it affects their language. Their language is impacted by the Lord sending the Spirit into them. Now, now why is that significant? It's significant because it's the fulfillment of Zechariah 3, verse 10. This is one of the prophecies. Look at Zechariah 3. It's actually verse 9. Zechariah 3, 9. Look at this. This is speaking of, I'm sorry, Zephaniah, not Zechariah. It's his cousin, Zephaniah. (laughs) Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Yeah. This is a prophecy of the Acts 2 outpouring. For then I will give the peoples a purified language. Now this purified language, it means, uh, in the purest of sense, it means that Um, it's never been, 
defiled, this language. You know, the English language has been defiled. We have words that defile one another, but this language doesn't defile. It's a purified lip, purified language. And it's a language so that they can call on the what? They can call on the what? Just see this for a second. The people in Babel wanted to erect a tower for what? Their name. How did they do that? Through one language, one purpose. So here it's prophesying of a coming language where a people would call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when Jesus says, let us send the spirit, the father had already bestowed upon Jesus the name above all names. So there's no higher name than the name of Jesus spiritually. But when this language comes, it's a language where they, with a purified voice and lip, can call upon the name of the Lord to what? Serve him shoulder to shoulder, meaning unified purpose. This is prophesying a righteous expression of the Tower of Babel. Proverbs 18, it says, the name of the Lord is a what? The name of the Lord is a what? Strong tower that the righteous run into and they are saved. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. That tower was established in Acts chapter two in an upper room. When the Holy Spirit descended, tongues of fire come upon the church. Now we've come a little ways, but we need to go a little further because you need to understand tongues because at this point it kind of makes sense theologically, but what does it mean to speak in tongues? Now Acts chapter 10 is them speaking in tongues and I don't think we do tongues enough justice. We need more teachings on tongues. There's actually four expressions of the gift of tongues. It's not just one universal expression. There's four of them. I'm going to talk about two of them tonight. Uh, The first one is seen in Acts chapter two, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I actually think that this expression is the least experienced or the least manifested of them. My personal take. And this expression is for people. Everyone say people. People. So Acts chapter two, when the outpouring came, you know, they were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. But after the Holy Spirit fell, um, in verse five, there were many Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. So the break here is important because the Holy Spirit had fell, tongues of fire, manifestations. Now, I believe that there were multiple expressions of speaking in tongues. I'm going to show you one. But there were multiple expressions, and I think those expressions were happening in the actual upper room. But here's what we don't understand. I didn't understand this till I went to Jerusalem. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit hit them in the upper room, 120, those 120 left the upper room. And they went to the southern steps of the temple because it was Pentecost 
Sunday. In Pentecost Sunday, people, the southern steps are how you enter into the temple and they were bringing their offerings. And so verse five is them describing the many Jews living in Jerusalem, every nation under the heavens. And so these men run there after receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they were amazed, astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning they were speaking languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language or tongue to which we were born, even though they weren't born? And it lists them off. These nations are important. You can study them out. But it lists them off. And then in verse 11, I'm not going to list them because I'll butcher it. It says, we hear them in our own tongues. Speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So here's the first expression of tongues, and I believe it's for unbelievers that the Holy Spirit will empower a language that transcends your understanding of that language, but you're preaching a language that they understand for the purpose of the gospel. And I've heard this happen on the mission field. I've heard it happen in a number of areas. I I personally have not had it experienced. I'm sure some of y'all have but it's the proclamation of the gospel. That's why Paul would say tongues aren't for believers, tongues are for unbelievers. He's speaking of this expression of tongues. Does this make sense? And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the first expression we see manifesting is a language that communicates the gospels to people in their native tongue. But Paul would talk about another expression of tongues. And it's one I really want to speak to tonight. And I I only have about 10 more minutes. So grace, grace. Um, It's in 1 Corinthians 14. So flip over to 1 Corinthians 14. I should probably break this into a few sermons. First Corinthians 14 is talking about the language of the spirit. Uh, I have a great teaching. I say it's great. Um, I have an informative teaching. I think it's great. Uh, on speaking, praying in tongues that's on our website. It goes into this in depth. Uh, but you have the gifts of the spirit in 12, the spirit of the gifts in 13, and then the language of the spirit in chapter 14. The language of the spirit's twofold. It's prophecy in tongues. We're talking about tongues tonight, so I'll focus on that. And uh, Paul doesn't just he's teaching on a different expression of the tongues. There's a variety of tongues, um, but look at this one in verse two. One is pursue love, eagerly desire gifts that you should prophesy, but two, for one who speaks in a tongue, which is what we're talking about tonight, does not speak to men. Now, Acts chapter two spoke to who? So this is speaking of a different tongue because it says for one who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to men, but to whom? Who's the audience of this tongue? Who's listening to this tongue? God's listening to this tongue. Then it says, for no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. So if, if I'm talking to God, what am I doing? Think about it for a second. If I'm talking to God, what am I doing? So this is Paul describing a tongue that involves prayer. 
It's the Holy Spirit in a believer communicating something to the Father, and it says that no one understands it. So what does no one mean? No one means no one. It means the person praying. It means the person listening to the person praying. No one understands it, but it says in his spirit, this comes back to the original teaching that we started with, because you are spirit. In his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Who's he speaking mysteries to? God. Well, that seems kind of silly. To the carnal man, it's actually foolish. But to the man of the spirit, it's wisdom. And and I'll tell you why. Um, Because though you or others may not understand it, the father does. And he's the audience of that language. He's the target. And it's him whom your spirit communing with the Holy Spirit is speaking to. And the fruit of that is found in verse four. It says one who speaks in a tongue. This is praying in a tongue. This is describing what it does for you personally. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now the word edify means builds up. It builds up your inner world. It builds up your inner man. It strengthens your spirit. What does? You praying in tongues. Now think about Babel. What did they do? They built up a tower. What's happening when you pray in tongues? You're building an inner righteous fortitude, like a fortress on the inside. How are you doing that? Through a tongue, through a language. Where did that language come from? From the Holy Spirit. What kind of language is it? It's a pure language before the Father. How is it built? It's built by faith. (laughs) How is it exercised? It's exercised by faith. Look in verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is what? My mind is unfruitful. I I want you to see that that's really good news. It may not seem like good news, but it's really good news to you. Why is it good news? Because the fruit of many of your minds is your problem. Take fear, for example. Fear, fear is the fruit of wrong reasoning. So faith is the opposite of fear. You're building up your faith. Jude 20 says praying in the Holy Ghost, building up the most holy of faith. You're 
praying in the Holy Ghost, you're building your inner man because, again, you're bigger than your mind. You're bigger than your soul. Your soul is the central processing unit of your being, but your spirit is over your soul or your mind. So when you take your mind and you subject it to the spirit, your spirit takes you into things that understanding can't get you to. And that's really good. It's not that you won't eventually understand. It's that understanding's the fruit of you submitting to the leadership of the Spirit. Like, think about this for a second. When you think of Romans chapter 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. You're coming out of the ways of the world, and you're renewing your mind in the things of the Spirit. Think Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, setting your mind on things above. This is an inward reality that we want to live from because our minds are submitted to the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of the Spirit. And as he renews our minds, the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in our lives. I really, I just want to end here. I want to end building your faith a little bit. Um, so I, I love, I love praying in the spirit. I said, nothing has, I don't think done more for me than praying in the spirit personally. Uh, it, it builds up my inner world. Um, it says prophecy edifies the church, but one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So if you think about prophecy, the power of prophecy today, there's some significant prophets walking the earth right now. Many are emerging. I'm hearing of new prophets that are walking in incredible words of knowledge. But if, if Sean Bowles, my friend, was um, speaking tonight and he began calling out names and he would begin to say, hey, do you live on so-and-so street? Is your birthday this? Is your, you've seen these types of prophetic words given. What happens in your heart is you're like, oh, I wish he would call me out. Oh, I would love for Sean Bowles to pray for me. Why? Because you would be edified. The Bible says that's what it is. It's edification of your life. Well, well, tongues for the believer is your inner personal Sean Bowles. It's building you up in faith. It's building up your inner world. It's decorating your insides. It's transforming your soul as you do that. I've also seen a lot of men struggling and women struggling with uh, lust in an inner fantasy world that they did not control and they've sown in the flesh and they're reaping thoughts they don't want to have because there just has been no order internally. I think praying in the spirit renews and rewires the mind to think differently. I really believe there's this inward Uh, building up of the mind so that you can get above some of that bad seed that's there. It it cleanses that. I've seen it in my own personal life. It builds you up. Um, I I think this too, and this is, is, uh, I'm going to end with that. Uh, Let me just give you some practical tips. If you're not one who prays in the spirit, um, 
I believe that in the, in the different manifestations of the gifts, um, I believe some are classified as a gift of the Spirit. Um, I, I think interpretation of tongues and certain things are gifts that are given to individuals. But I believe this prayer language that I'm talking about tonight is for every believer. And, and I believe it's a grace that's given to all of us. And, and here's a couple of reasons why. Paul had such a high value on tongues. He said, I thank God I pray in tongues more than you. It's powerful. He also said, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. His desire is that all of them would do it. He also said, don't forbid it. And so I, I see Paul's high value on it. And then why would I personally need a gift from the Holy Spirit to build me up and you not? Why would he give me something that would build up my inner world? It's just for me, between me and God, and go, no, 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 that one's not for you. That's not, that's not how he is. He, he's really generous. And, and I, but what I think has happened is there's just been a lack of teaching, a lack of clarity, so that we really have faith to access this. And here's some things that I want to help you. One is speaking in tongues is a willed activity. It's a choice of your will. You're not just going to walk through Whole Foods tonight and it's going to fall on you. And that's not how it works. It's completely subjected to you. You activate it. You activate it. You choose to do it. Paul would say this. Paul would say, if I, if I pray in my mind or if I pray in my spirit, which means he could do one or the other. If I will. It was a choice of his will. It's also a learned activity. Not just an activity. It's a learned language. You don't just start out fluently. Uh, for me, I just got a little bitty phrase. And I got kids, man. Watching them learn the English language is hilarious. Everything is a ball, 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 a ball. That's my, that's my two-year-old. It was my two-year-old. Now he's getting more language, but it's so cute. I don't even correct him because he's our last one that's so little. And I just let him, you know, stumble over his English. I, I absolutely adore it. But, but the same is with your spiritual language. It, it, it's something that, that you're given. For me, I was given this little bitty phrase. It was like, I don't even know what it was. It was something as silly. It seems silly. It seems silly to the carnal mind, but it was something like, you know, kamaba, something like that. Kamaba, 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 kamaba. Well, when I would get in the place of prayer and practice, that same phrase came up. And so I was just faithful with that little phrase, kamaba, kamaba. Listen, my flesh was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And I was like, devil, I'm practicing something. I'm practicing something. I read right here. I know I don't understand it, but I know you don't understand it either, but my faith is being built up. And over time, though, like, like it's now fluid. And it's something I try to do. I try to do it. I try to do it a lot. I try to do it a lot. Um, so it's learned. It's willed. Uh, it's practiced. So those things. So here's where I want to end, because I want to talk about the corporate expression of it, because I've been talking about it as, as individuals. But Romans 8, this is the scripture I'm going to end with. Romans 8, verse 26. <clears throat> in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. 
Okay, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit doing what? Praying. Holy Spirit, communing on your behalf to the Lord. In, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So to me, this is praying in the Spirit. Teachers I respect don't necessarily think that this is speaking about that, but I, I really do. I think that praying in the Spirit is a language of groans. If you listen to people pray in the Spirit, it's a groan a lot of times. It's a rhythm of groans. It's a rhythm of groans out of your heart that the Holy Spirit is releasing through your spirit. But this is the beauty of it. Look in verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So searching the mind of the Spirit or the mind of God. And he intercedes for you according to the what? Will of God. So what's something you can have faith in when you're praying in the spirit is that you're praying the perfect will of God. Why is that important? Because you're not subject to your own reasoning, your own calculations. Am I praying right? Am I doing it right? No, you're praying the perfect will of God when you do that. Have you ever prayed around a topic? You're like, I just don't know how much more I can pray around this. I've prayed for Billy. I've prayed for Billy. I've prayed for Billy. I've prayed for Billy. God, save Billy. God, what's wrong with Billy? God, what? No, it's... Billy. 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 Billy, Billy. <laughs> People ask me all the time, can I, how can I pray for you? Do you pray in tongues? Just pray in tongues for me. <laughs> I don't, your, your will's great, but his is better, so just pray his perfect will over my life. <laughs> so, so here's one of the things that I think is worth mentioning is in our nights of prayer, we've been singing in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit quite a bit. I don't think these evenings are a good opportunity for you to bring someone that does not know Jesus into this meeting. I just don't. I think a Sunday night is much better. Uh, I think it's more tangible. I think it will be hard for someone to lay hold of what we do in the prayer rooms for the next 21 days. But I want you to know that when we gather... I believe we're fulfilling Zephaniah 3.9. I believe there's a, there's a oneness of spirit where we collectively allow the Holy Spirit to groan through us, and we are praying the perfect will of God for our community. But I also believe this. This is where I have deep conviction. Is I believe we're establishing a righteous tower that is the knowledge of God in our city. And then when the lost and confused and those that have been sitting in other towers come into this one, he will dismantle those mindsets because a place has been prepared for him. And I believe praying in the spirit, I believe praying in the spirit prepares a way for that. I believe it's an arsenal and a weapon we've been given as the church to wage war against fortresses and speculations that have established themselves above the knowledge of God. And we are reestablishing a culture of truth. It's not just about you. It's not just about us. It's not just about a good meeting. It's not just about 
a, a cool church. It is about a city within a city that when people come into the jurisdiction of the upper room, there has been a tower that's been established where the knowledge of God is honored, where the nature of Jesus is honored, where the gospel is proclaimed, where truth is not compromised, where the fear of man, we will not bow to the fear of man. There is a government. There's a government called the kingdom of God that we're supposed to establish on the earth. And it looks like us doing heavenly things in an earthly place. We need to get a lot more weird from the world's standpoint to be more effective. I truly believe it. We look too much like them. And these activities, we've got to activate them in our midst and use them. I'm not saying we do them out in the public and we just look like weirdos, but there are, again, some nuclear weapons that he's given us that we've got to activate. And I think this is for you as an individual. I think it's for us as a church, but ultimately, I think it's unto us captivating a generation with Jesus. I think it's unto what the Lord's speaking to us about nations. I think it's unto us planting churches. I think it's unto us getting into the immeasurably more than we can ask, understand, know why. I don't know. I don't know. But he's in charge of this. All right. Thank you for your patience. I pray this blessed you. I want our ministry team to come forward. And I'm going to ask just a pianist to get up front. Thank you for hanging in there. I know it's a little late, so if you got to bail, we love you.